Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We've done a little bit of a switcheroo. Matt and I have traded places, and instead of me being behind the screen, he's behind, behind the screen. The only, the only thing that we haven't done is like in the movie Freaky, um, Freaky Friday, where I'm still in my own body, and he's in his, his body. We've just switched our, switched our roles here. So I'm going to be giving the lesson tonight. Um, tonight is the third and final lesson of our series titled My King. And if you haven't been here for the first two lessons, what we have been trying to hammer home is this idea that, that Jesus is more than just, just a good luck charm, just a genie that comes out of the lamp and answers our wishes and our prayers when we need his help and assistance. And then when we, <clears throat> when we no longer require his services, we put him back in our pockets until a later point in time when we, when we need him. And the Bible tells us he's so much more than that. It says that he's sovereign. He's in complete control. He's the preeminent king, meaning he surpasses all others. The Bible says in one place in, in Revelation, I love where it says in Revelation 19, it talks about when Jesus is coming down before he battles Satan and the Antichrist and his armies, it says, on, it says in the Bible that on his thigh is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's like he's saying, like, just in case there was any doubt amongst you guys, yes, I am the King of Kings, I am the Lord of Lords. And that is the king that stands before us and the king that is going before us. And so when, I, when we think about kings, I like to think that there's three different kings that we can have in our lives. The first type of king is the me king. This is where we say that we are the center of our own universes. And yes, I did use this opportunity to put a crown upon a very good-looking and dashing picture of, of myself. <laughs> but we are the center of our own universe. It's just me, myself, and I, and I'm going to do whatever satisfies me, gratifies me, and gives me pleasure. The second type of king that we can have is the idol king, where we adore and make an idol out of someone or something, some sort of materialistic item. And a very historic example of this was back in the 1960s when the Beatles, the most popular, one of the most popular bands of all time, were taking the world by storm. And they were so heavily adored by fans, they had gained such a massive gathering and fan base. And people my age and people your age were walking away from the church and turning towards pop and rock music. And that prompted, in an interview, John Lennon to say one of the most controversial at the time, talked about quotes of all time when he said that we are more popular than Jesus. And that just goes to show you how adored um, they were by these fans who had essentially made them idols and made them kings. And similarly, we can do the same thing in our lives and give that worship to someone or something. And then the last type of king is obviously the Jesus king, where we view Jesus as the Lord and king over our lives, and we exist to live and serve for him. And so the question that I ask you guys and I ask myself tonight is, who is king in our lives? Because I firmly believe that you can be saved, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and be a child of God, but not acknowledge him as the king of your life to the fullest potential. Because I think that if we did, then we would have a reaction similar to what Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 2. Listen to what he has to say um, in verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
So what he's saying is that everyone at some point, whether they believe in Jesus or not, whether they're saved or unsaved, is going to bow their knees, similar to what we just did before that, that second song when we bowed our knees when we prayed. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But are we told to wait until the second coming when we're reunited with Jesus in heaven to bow, bow before him and confess that he is Lord? Are we going to do that now? Do we do that now and acknowledge him as our Lord and King to our fullest potential? And when we do that, it can, I believe that it completely changes the way we act and live and serve him. And our service toward him ties back into how we view him as our king. Our view of King Jesus is reflected in our service. And what I mean by that is when we fully acknowledge and grasp what it means for Jesus to be our king, when we think about what he's done for us, dying on the cross for us, the way he's provided for us, what he's going to do for us in the future, as it talks about in Revelation, where after he's defeated the armies of Satan and the Antichrist, he's going to establish his millennial reign in that new, new kingdom. And it talks about in the Bible how all the nations are going to bow before him and serve him. And when we fully get all of that, I believe that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, is going to work in our lives, and compel us to love and worship in a way where we completely submit and surrender to God. And we take our lives, picture your life in your hand, and we look at it and we completely offer it up to Jesus and God and say, here's my life, use it as you see fit to fulfill your, your will. And with that, that being said, I have four points I want to go over tonight. The middle schoolers, they only got three points. You guys I love so much, they have four points for you, for you guys. In regards to how do we respond to viewing Jesus as our king? And the first one that we are told to do is to wake up. We are, we are or in this case, do not hit the snooze button. How many of you guys need multiple alarms to get up in the morning, love to hit the snooze button because you are not early birds, you have a hard time getting ready in the morning for school, you're, you're like one of the seven dwarves, you're like sleepy in the morning, you have a hard time getting up, and then as soon as you wake up, you immediately become grumpy because... It is too early in the morning for you to be in a good, jolly, jolly mood. What God tells us to do, though, is the opposite. He tells us to be early birds. He tells us to wake up when we're told to wake up, go when we're told to go, instead of going back to sleep and hitting the snooze button, or in this case, being, being idle. And the passage that I'd like to go over with you guys, the first one, is in Romans chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. And what Paul says here in this passage to the Romans is the first thing he says is to love one another. Picking up in verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. He's essentially saying that all of the commandments can be summed up in this way. If you just love one another, you are fulfilling all of them because love is at the root of the law. He then goes on in the next verse, verse 11, to say, Besides this, you know the time. Other translations word it as in do this, meaning love one another, knowing the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So what he's saying is to wake up from your sleep, wake up from your slumber, and love one another because your time on earth is nearing, nearing an end. There's a, you guys have probably heard that there are two certainties in, in life. 
death and taxes, which you guys will have the lucky fortune of having to deal with someday when you, when you grow up. Um, but death is something that we all have an appointment with. Time is not something that can be added to our account, but it's always something that is taken away from us. And the reason why we are, Paul is stressing here for us to wake up is because every day that we don't spend honoring God and glorifying Him and living for Him is a wasted opportunity. It's, it's a missed day that we can't get back. So the point is, don't dilly-dally and wake up when we are told to wake up. And then he says it in a different way, and I love this in verse 12 when he says that the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, meaning that the night and the darkness, they ought to be behind us. Being asleep, being idle, we need to cast that aside and put that in the past and instead step out into the light, step out into the sun when we're awake, when we're active, when we're energetic, and be moving. And I like how he equates light to an armor, saying put on the armor of light because ultimately we are in, as Christians, we are in a spiritual warfare. Listen to what he has to say here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 16, Paul is telling them making, to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Guys, I don't know if you realize this or fully grasp this, but we are constantly at war with dark influences, whether they be of this world or at Satan. I mean, just last week, we had a Democratic, one of the Democratic presidential candidates say that churches, he believes that churches should lose their tax exemption status if they don't endorse same-sex marriage and homosexuality. Now, that's something that wasn't talked about nearly as much publicly or the concept of gay marriage and homosexuality when I was growing up, but it seems like every day it comes across in the news, every day we hear, hear about it. And that just goes to show you that the world is becoming a darker place, and in some ways, it's becoming harder to win people over, over to Christ because of all the evil that's prevalent in this world. So that's the first point. We are to, we are to wake up. The second thing that we are told to do is to tell the world locally about, about Jesus and to win people over to Christ. The best way that we can show others that we love them, as Paul talked about in that passage in Romans, is to share the gospel with them and to reach out to, to the lost. And that starts, starts, lo- starts locally. In this verse here, in Acts chapter 1, verse, um, verse 8, this is right before Jesus is ascended into um, heaven, and he gives one final, um, one final uh, instructions or command to his disciples. In verse 8 here, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Winning people over to Christ, he's saying, starts locally. And for the disciples, that meant in Judea and Jerusalem, where they spend most of their time. And for us, that means our local community, our sphere, that is Huntington and Barbersville, West, West Virginia. Now, I know that we could spend a whole series, we could spend weeks talking about how to share the gospel with you, how to have gospel, gospel conversations. And by all means, if you guys are ever worried about that and don't know what to say, don't know what Bible verses to talk about, and how to start that conversation, how to share the gospel, talk to myself, talk to Matt, talk to any of the other leaders, and we can definitely, we would more, be more than willing, we would love to sit down with you guys and talk to you guys about how to go about that, how to how to evangelize, how to witness to somebody. But before we even witness to somebody, the one tool that I want to give you guys um, tonight revolves around, revolves around prayer. Now, 
This idea is something that I didn't, I can't take credit for this. This is something that I stole from somebody named Mark Cahill. And if you aren't familiar with Mark Cahill and don't know who he is, he's a very well-known public speaker and, and evangelist. And he came up with this tool called Pray for Bob. Now, in this case, Bob isn't, doesn't necessarily refer to a person, but obviously if you have somebody in your life who isn't saved who is named Bob, then yes, by all means, we want you to be praying for that person named Bob if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But in this case, he's referring to Bob as an acronym, and these three letters represent three words. The first one, B, stands for burden. We are, we are told to pray that God would give us a burden to reach the lost. One of the biggest reasons, I think, why we as Christians don't reach out to people more often is because we're apathetic, we're disinterested, or we're more interested in what's going on in our lives, our hobbies, our interests, our priorities, our responsibilities, as opposed to the needs of others. But when we really think about it, guys, realize that every, every day, every hour, every minute, every second, there are people that are dying who don't know Jesus— and they're going to be spending all eternity in hell. And because of that, we ought to be burdened that we ought to want to do something about that. We want to fix that. We ought to want to prevent that because realize that those people, by not knowing Jesus, they are going to suffer the worst consequences ever from the worst disease, the worst sickness that's ever affected mankind called sin. And the results of that, that disease, is eternal separation, eternal suffering from God. Unless we give them that cure, that antidote, which is taking this Bible and sharing with them, pointing to them, hey, here's how you can know for sure that you are going to spend all eternity in heaven. Here's how you can know where you're going to spend eternity. We ought to be compelled to tell them about this radical change, this transformation that's occurred in our lives, and we ought to share, we ought to want to tell them about, hey, this person in my life, this man named Jesus, he's given me this message of hope, this message of love, of peace, of security, and it's completely changed my life. And because of that, I want to tell you how you can experience that same transformation in, in your lives. It just ought to be flowing out of us because because we fully realize what Jesus has done for us when we put our faith in him. And I want to show you guys um, a video um, by somebody named Penn Juliet. Some of you guys may know him by his first name, Penn, as part of a famous magician and illusionist duo called Penn and Teller. Penn is a proclaimed atheist. He has not shied away from making that public. But this clip comes from after one of his shows when someone came up to him and gave him a Bible and shared the gospel with him. And these are his thoughts on, on Christians proselytizing or converting somebody to a different, their own beliefs or opinions, or in this case, converting others to Christianity. And listen to what he has to say. Hear what he has to say. Some of you guys may find it pretty shocking. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not, getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. 
and I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've watched this video several, several times. I first heard it years ago. And every time that I've watched it, I, I feel awful inside. I feel convic convicted, and I think about the, the opportunities that I've that I've missed out on or walked away, away from. I think about, you know, when I first got saved, man, I was, I was so excited. And I'm sure many of you were. You were so excited to tell those around you, your friends and, and family about Jesus. And then I think about what happened afterwards, the relationships that were strained, the, the people that I'm no longer friends with or don't, don't talk to because they know that I'm a Christian, they know what I believe in and no longer wish to be a part of, a part of my life. And how I've, how... I and uh, many and many of us have shied away from sharing the gospel because we're so worried about ruining those relationships, and we want to maintain our status, our status quo, and not offend anybody. And I wouldn't go so far as he does, as Penn does in that video, to say that we hate those people, but I think it's fair to say that we, again, we care more about maintaining our status quo and the norm as opposed to offending somebody and ruffling feathers and maybe ruining those relationships. But those relationships, if we don't share the gospel with those people, if they don't put their faith in Jesus, those relationships are eventually going to end when we die and we go to heaven and when those people go to hell. And that's something that we ought not to want, to want to happen. So that's the first thing, the first letter, B, praying for a burden. The second letter, O, stands for opportunity. We ought to be praying for opportunities or open, open doors. Because when we do pray, God's going to place those open doors in our lives. He's going to place a door right in front of us, and he's going to open it and say, hey, here's somebody that, that you know, a friend or family member, or somebody that you've met in, met in public just when you're out and about in the community. I'm going to open this door. I'm going to give you this moment to oh, go to cross over that threshold and share the gospel with somebody, have a gospel conversation with somebody. And then the question, so then the question is, are we going to walk through that open door or instead, are we going to completely close it shut and walk the other way or walk in a completely different direction? We need to be praying for those open doors in our, in our lives. One of the, one of the uh, lessons that I've always taken away and I've never forgotten, when I was being discipled in college, the person that discipled me, when we were, ta when we were talking about how to share the gospel with somebody, he reminded me what Jesus told the disciples when he was gathering up. He told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he asked me the simplest question, um, one of the simplest questions I've ever been asked, how do you catch a fish? And the simple answer is, you take some bait, you put it on a hook, and you cast out your line, and you just see if you get a bite. And that same principle applies to witnessing. You look for those, those open, open doors, whether you're out at school, work, home, or in the, in the community. Maybe it's inviting somebody to youth group. Maybe it's inviting somebody to church. Maybe it's when you see somebody struggling, somebody you know, and you have the opportunity to tell them how Jesus has helped you go through those same struggles and difficulties. Maybe it's taking, maybe it's taking a gospel track and giving it to somebody. Whatever that opportunity may be, you just toss out that bait and, and see where it goes. See where that, go that gospel conversation goes. That's how witnessing starts. And those open doors are going to look different for, for each, each of us. Think about how you guys um, came to put your faith and trust in Jesus or those in your life that you know, how they became saved. All of us have a different story. All of us have a unique story, how we put our faith and trust in Jesus. 
for me, I got saved when I was in college. I was, I was a sophomore in, in college, um, and a friend named Brooke Larson, she's still a good friend of mine, when I was in college, I had a major crush on her. And so God used in her, God put that open door in Brooke's life to reach out to me because she knew that I had a crush on her and she knew my religious background. I came from a background where that emphasized a works-based salvation where you have to earn your way, um, where you have to earn your way to salvation. And she knew that I wasn't happy with that, that I wasn't happy with my relationship with God and my religious background. And so she used that open door to share the gospel with me because my heart was at a place where it was open to hearing the message of the gospel. And so if we pray, we know, we can be confident that an all-knowing God knows those open doors that he's just weighing to place in our lives if we just ask him for, for that opportunity to give us that, that one, that, that moment to share the gospel with somebody. And then the last letter B stands for boldness. Pray for the same Holy Spirit that gave the power to the apostles back in, in Acts, that same power to settle into our lives, that same power um, to, give, to give us the ability to speak with boldness. And when we really think about it, when we have that boldness, it's not going to be us that's speaking. The Bible says in the Gospels that we ought not to worry about what we're going to say, what we're going to speak, because it's ultimately God that's going to be speaking for us and be our mouthpiece. And really, it's going to be him that's going to be sharing, sharing the gospel with those who are lost and working through us. And then the, thir the third point here is we are to tell the world globally about, about Jesus. If you remember back in that verse in Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 8, the second part of that that's highlighted there in yellow on the screen is he tells the disciples to be witnesses also in Samaria and to the end of the, the, end of the earth. It's just as important, people around the world who don't know Jesus, their lives, their eternal security, and their stake is just as important as people here in our local community. Because they too are, the Bible says, are without excuse, even if they've never heard of Jesus. And that one day, they're going to stand before God, and if they don't know Jesus, even if they've never heard about him, the Bible says that they're going to be judged and spend eternity in hell because they are without excuse. And so we are to partner and support the global cause of missions and support that ministry by reaching out to those around the world. And I wrote down here three ways that we can support the cause of missions. The first is to go on a mission trip. Some of you guys here had the opportunity to go with us to Moorhead City, North Carolina this past summer on a mission trip and cater to the physical and potentially the, and hopefully the spiritual needs of people around the world and other parts of the country. And every summer we have the opportunity to go either somewhere in the States or internationally and cater to those physical and spiritual needs. So um, in, in the next couple of weeks and months, I imagine we're going to be talking about our, our mission trip next summer. And so I hope that you guys will sincerely be praying about that opportunity. Consider going with us on those mission trips. And I don't think I'm speaking for myself when I say that those of us had the opportunity to go um, this past uh, summer, those of us who have gone on mission trips in the past, that it completely changes our lives and completely changes the way we view missions. And it gives us a deeper desire and more of a burden to support um, the cause of missions. Some of you guys may even become missionaries and may be uprooted here from Huntington, West Virginia to become missionaries. And whether it's be a pastor, be a pastor's wife in a different part of the world, and in that way, reach the lost around the world. And then the third thing that we can do is support them with our time, money, and prayers. 
And that may not mean much to you guys, especially the money part. That's what I'm talking about. If you don't have a job or don't have an income, but one day you guys are going to have a job. You're going to have a full-time job after you graduate from college, and you're going to have to ask yourself, what should I do with this money? Am I going to keep all of it for myself, or am I going to take some of that money that God's ultimately blessed me with? Remember, it's not something, it's not our own money. It's ultimately something that God's given to us, and am I going to take just a little bit of that money and give it back to God and say, here's, here's some of that money. I offer it to you as a sacrifice. Use it to further your ministry of global missions. And that's the third point. And finally, the last point I have here is how do we respond to viewing Jesus as our king? We're to look forward to seeing Jesus in heaven. I took this photo a couple weeks ago when I was out in, in Colorado for a wedding I was in. This is called Emerald Lake. It's one of the most popular, if not the most popular, hikes in Rocky Mountain National, National Park. And you can see just how absolutely gorgeous and, be- and beautiful um, it is. This is one of the things that I love to do. I love to go out into the wilderness. I love to hike and just be amazed at what the creation that God has made for us. And I was, hi- and I was hiking with a friend, a friend of mine who also came into Colorado for this wedding, and there was a certain point where I just looked over and said, if we're just amazed and our jaws just drop when we see what God's created for us here on this earth, just imagine what, how we're going to react, what our reaction is going to be when we end up in heaven someday and we finally get to see Jesus face to face and we get to see the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem that he's created for us. Quickly, I'm just going to go over, last week we spent time in the first part of Revelation. Tonight we're going to end in the last part of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. And I've highlighted here the, path, the parts that I want to go over. And we see a couple of things here about what we're going to experience in heaven someday. You see the first part here in verses 3 and 4. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So the first thing that we see is that heaven isn't just a place where Jesus also lives. It's not a place where we live in our own area and Jesus, you know, lives in the White House. And if we cross over the barrier of the fence, there's going to be angels acting as secret service agents to put us down before we take one step closer to Jesus. No, what this passage tells us is that we're going to live with Jesus. We're going to dwell with Jesus. It's not going to be like in in Exodus where God told Moses that you won't be able to behold my glory, but I'll show you just a glimpse of it. I'll show you my backside. No, we're actually going to meet Jesus face to face. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say that he's actually going to touch us. He's going to wipe away our, our tears. He's going to remove all of that sadness, pain, and misery. For those of you that don't know, I'm an intensive care unit pharmacist, so I work in an ICU and see the sickest patients when they're at their sickest and that they're closest to dying. And I, would, and I would say, on average, there's probably two or three patients a week that I see pass away in the intensive care unit because of how sick they are. And every week, I'm just, when I see that, I'm just reminded that, that there's going to be a point in time where that's going to no longer be the case, where people are no longer going to have to suffer because, it's, because we're going to spend all of eternity with God, and he's going to remove all of that sickness and disease and imperfection from, from us. 
And then in the latter part of Revelation um, 21, he describes New Jerusalem as the most beautiful city that we have ever, um, ever seen. We don't have it up here. Oh, actually, he did put it up on the slide. Look at these verses that are highlighted in verse, starting in verse 18. He says that the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agatsi, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth burial, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprases, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, I don't know about you guys, but half of those jewels and emeralds, I don't even know what they mean, but I imagine that they're very valuable and very precious to look on. And that's what New Jerusalem is going to look like. It's going to be the most beautiful city that we have ever seen. And then finally, verse 23, where it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the lamp. There's not going to be any darkness in heaven. There's, there's not going to be any power outages because God's glory is going to light up all of heaven. And there's going to be no need for us to sleep because we're going to be perfect. We're not going to need to sleep. We're not going to need to rest because we're going to be perfect in his image. And we're always going to be awake and always going to be in the light of the glory of God. God. And when we think about this, our response should be to look more, be looking more forward to those things in heaven as opposed to the things on, on earth. Because we all have things that we want to accomplish in, in our lives. But if we're more interested in those things, the things that we want to accomplish, the things that we want to check a mark off of our bucket list before we die, as opposed to being more interested in heavenly things and being reunited with Jesus, then can we really say that Jesus is our, our king if we're more interested in the things on this earth instead of what is waiting before us? I'll leave you guys with uh, one final quote before we get to these takeaways. Um, this is from John MacArthur, who's one of the most famous preachers of our time. And he said, looking towards heaven maintains the vigor of our spiritual service. Because when we look towards heaven, when we have that vigor of spiritual service, that means that we hold in high regard what is waiting for us in heaven, the reward, the inheritance, that new heaven, that new Jerusalem that is awaiting us. And because we have high regard for that reward, that, that prize, that inheritance, it ought to compel us to completely sell out for Jesus while we're here on this earth. And so that wraps up this lesson, but I wanted to give you guys four final takeaways or four uh, points to summarize this series, four calls to action. The first is to place Jesus on the throne. We all know that Jesus is the preeminent king, but have you made him the king of your life or is he still just sitting in your pocket? Take him out of the pocket and place him on the throne over your life. Secondly is to pursue a loving relationship with Jesus. As Matt talked about last week, remember that first love and get back to that point in time where you loved Jesus being a part of your life, where you loved fellowship with him in the word and in prayer. And when you're, when you're out in the public and you're serving him, when you're at church, your heart is in everything that you do and it changes the way that you live for Jesus. Thirdly, is pledge your life to Jesus. Completely surrender your life to, to him and go all out for him and say that, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do and I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. And then fourth and finally is to proclaim Jesus, both here locally in Huntington, Barbersville, West Virginia, 
and then globally around the world and throughout the country through the cause of missions. So that's everything I have for tonight. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for, for these teens, for these high schoolers that are just so eager to come out on a Wednesday night uh, and to fellowship and to just worship you and praise you and dig into your word and learn uh, what you have to tell us. Um, God, I just pray for, for all of us, for the leaders, for the high schoolers, everyone here tonight, that we fully understand what it means when you, when you say that you're, that you're king, that, that you are that king of kings, that you're the, um, as it says in your word, the eternal, the immortal, the invisible, invisible king, the sovereign, the one who is in complete control. I just pray that we fully grasp what that means and that it completely transform our lives and how we live for you, how we live as Christians. And God, I just pray that it would completely change our faith and grow our faith in you and give us a stronger relationship with you that would carry us throughout the rest of, our, the rest of time in high school and for these uh, teens, their time in college, and throughout the rest of their lives here on this earth after they graduate from high school and college. And I pray that that faith would completely, would compel us to surrender our lives and serve you in ways that we never have before. God, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.